Welcome to Strength in the Numbers. My name is Andrew Codd, accountant, author, and commercial finance entrepreneur. And it's my job each week to bring you leaders in finance and business and deconstruct with them their real stories, insights, and hard-won lessons into practical advice on the key strengths and qualities you need to remain relevant in accounting and finance today, as well as the steps you can begin to take to elevate the impact you make to have a fun, successful, and rewarding career in accounting and finance. Now let's go over to the show. So welcome everyone to this rather special Strength in the Numbers episode where we've got a panel debate around the continuity challenges that we're currently facing from crises, but in particular, how can we keep our businesses open and essential services running? And we've brought a number of fantastically experienced panelists from different sectors, industries, to maybe bounce around some ideas on how we can do this. And rather than me introduce all of them, how about I sort of let them introduce themselves? And our three panelists are Howard Cosby, Louise Miller, and Mike Atwood. And Howard, how about you give us a brief uh, background on your uh, career uh, for audience, please? Yes, sure. Thanks, Andrew. Uh, background is uh, professional services, uh, having worked across a fair number of years now with a number of diverse organisations, in particular looking at the processes within. Uh, their supply chains. So uh, the sort of organisations that we dealt with are people within the food and drink sector from uh, large supermarket retailers through to people who work in the uh, the leisure sector, uh, hoteliers, restaurateurs, etc, etc. And also, um, as I mentioned, a fairly diverse range of other sectors uh, highlights being, for example, the automotive industry with uh, their very complex supply chains, uh, General Motors being, uh, for example, a client for a fair number of years, and also uh, in the health and well-being, both working with NHS supply chain and organisations like Walgreens do. Awesome. Thanks, Howard. Uh, and Louise, coming to you, would you mind giving us a quick introduction to your career? Please. Not at all. I guess my career has always been in finance. I've spent the last 30 years in supply chain businesses, predominantly providing contract logistics and end-to-end supply chain services for a wide variety of, of businesses across a broad range of sectors. I started pretty much at the bottom. So I started finance as an apprentice or, or similar to the apprentice schemes we have today. And I worked my way through a whole variety of, of roles. I now am essentially the finance director for one of DHL supply chain's business units in the UK. And the particular sector I focus on now is drinks, drinks logistics. Oh, brilliant. That's brilliant, Louise. And Mike, over to yourself. Would you maybe give us a quick introduction to your career, please? Okay, thanks, Andrew. Uh, hello, everybody. Um, I worked for Sainsbury's for 30 years in trading departments, looking at procurement, sourcing, supply chain, as well as profitability and market share, covering meat produce and bakery, uh, including three years on value capture. Um, the last 12 years I've been working with Subway IPC, which is the purchasing and uh, supply chain arm for Subway for the whole of Europe. Um, and across both of those careers, I've got 36 years experience in business continuity and crisis management. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't even start to list the number of crises that I've come across <laughs> over the years, but I've written them all down if anybody's... <laughs> 
Yeah, no, no, I, 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 thanks, Mike, for that. And actually, now that you mentioned crises, look, we're living, you know, when we're recording this, we're actually living through one at the moment, this COVID-19 crisis affecting our different countries in different ways. And I think we all agree as panellists, you know, to say a big thank you to those out on the front lines, the volunteers uh, out there working together, keeping our communities safe and protected. So I just want to say a big thank you to, to those doing that for us so we can have this conversation and share these great insights with you. And uh, from another sort of a great leader, uh, Winston Churchill, you know, once inferred that we should never waste a good crisis. So obviously we've got the coronavirus. Uh, Mike, you've lived through a, a few as, as the rest of us as well. And we've got climate change on the horizon, uh, Brexit, uh, the oil price shocks and so on. Um, you know, so loads of continuity challenges there out there for businesses. Um, so what are the main challenges that your teams and clients organizations are dealing with and maybe we start with uh, start with you Louise sort of what are the main challenges that you're running into from a continuity perspective I guess um, working in the drinks logistics business at the moment that pretty much stopped overnight and and, and as a finance professional of course you get catapulted into um, so what does that mean how is the future going to unfold and of course the big challenge at the moment is none of us actually really know um, so for, for us, the challenge has been communicating with our teams, um, trying to understand what the next steps might be, but most importantly, keeping our, our teams safe and working out how we stand every service up, um, internal services from home, essentially. So those have been the biggest, biggest challenges. But so far, actually, it's been pretty seamless, um, mm. which has been great. I just to delve that one deeper, I think others are going through similar challenges, Louise, mm-hmm. but use the word seamless. Like That's an interesting word to use in this, this crazy manic time we're living in. <laughs> and, and I guess, um, yeah, it is, isn't it? Maybe we just have a positive outlook because it's such an unusual situation that it has seemed seamless. I guess um, we had the benefit of seeing what was happen- happening across the globe. So we knew it was only a matter of time before we were in the same sort of situation. So you have a little bit of um, ability to plan. So we we are in a a digitalized work anyhow, world anyhow. So to some extent, we had the facilities to work remotely already. We just probably didn't exploit them to the extent where we didn't exploit them to the extent that we are today. So, So I guess we had that bit of warning. We could do a little bit of planning. We could prepare our teams for what might come because we could see what was happening across the globe. And then we were able to act much more quickly, I would say, than we might otherwise have, have been able to do. Yeah, thanks, thanks for those points, Louise, and, and those uh, more optimistic ways of looking at it as well. <laughs> <laughs> but, 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 Mike, you mentioned about that list of you know, crises we've, we've already been through and you, you've sort of led uh, teams, value capture and so on. Um, you know, like, is that is that a way we should be looking at such challenges? Or are there other challenges as well that we, we you know, that are new that we might not have maybe encountered before? How, how are you looking at the present crises we're living through? Well, I have to say this crisis is, is different from anything we've had before. Although the principles that we've tried to apply to work through it have been learned from the previous experiences. I can't draw on anything that's happened in the past because I wasn't alive in 1918 when the last pandemic hit or the, the global pandemic hit mm-hmm. and the Ebola in Africa and the, the SARS didn't really get beyond the regions where they started so we've never had anything like this 
but we have adapted, as, as Louise said, we've we have always had an element of home working. We've just ramped that up to make almost everybody home working for the last six weeks, I think it is. And then we've had to close all the subway stores. So all the subway stores chose to be closed themselves because every subway is a franchise right across Europe. And the decision was made certainly for the UK and Ireland to close in the middle of March. Uh, and depending on the, the market, some stores have closed and some haven't. So in Scandinavia, they've broadly kept going with some controls around spacing and masks and things. But in Italy, it's obviously closed down completely. Spain has closed down completely because of the extreme impact there. So sitting in the middle of all that, we've had to try and manage our franchisees because we are a franchisee organisation and we are there to serve them and nothing else. We've got different challenges in different markets depending on how that market has responded to the to the crisis. So having shut down a number of markets, we're now looking to reopen stores and the conditions by which those stores can reopen, either doing deliveries and things have all, all been looked at by individuals in the team to try and get the businesses going again because without sales, the subway business is, is paralysed, essentially. So quite, quite yeah. a challenge to... E. coli or floods or anything else that's gone over the years but the principles we you know we stick with our principles and we work through it in that way and i guess just touching on that point mike around um, those particular businesses have all closed there's quite a lot that have had to keep going so for instance in the supply chain business the food still gets to the supermarkets um we're still receiving deliveries for whatever it is we order online so it's how do we learn from those organizations that have had to continue to operate um implementing the social distancing measures because they've they've done it and they had to almost stand that up as well uh, at quite short short notice so so maybe the businesses who are now thinking how do we start up um, can also look at the ones who've had to keep going so the supermarkets for instance during during the situation and and we learn from them um, and and probably in some cases manufacturing has already been stood up for the extra things that, that those organizations need to operate safely but Absolutely. i think we can learn from each other can't we through this too well, it's almost like a war situation. When, when, when a war breaks out, going back to the Second World War, for example, industry had to re respond to the needs of the war economy rather than doing what it did day to day. And what we've, what the industry is doing now here is manufacturing PPE and, and some of the things that needed to support the current crisis. So garment manufacturers have switched to making gowns rather than overcoats. Mm -hmm. So all these things have been going on now, I'm not sure how many of those would have been planned in some sort of continuity situation, but they've but people have adapted to it in, in a matter of weeks, as they would have done in, in the 40s for the, for the war. Yeah. I, I, was, I was just wondering, wondering, using the war analogy there, Mike, I, I was going to maybe put the question to Howard. Howard, do you, I mean, do you think, given these challenges, do we have the necessary weapons or ammunition of mass adjustment? <laughs> whatever way we want to describe it, to, to, to be successfully uh, emerging? Uh, in the face of all these challenges? I personally think that one of the key things here, and Louise referred to it, is the speed with which this has come upon us in this particular instance. So if you, if you make a comparison and none of these analogies are valid to 100%, 
But for example, there was a program on the television the other day, um, Mike's old stomping ground of Sainsbury's where Patrick Miller, who's in charge of the supply chain and is somebody that Mike knows from some years back, was pointing out that there was no prep time in comparison to, for example, well, Brexit is coming around the corner. Well, actually, months and months and months and years of prep for Brexit. This was something that came so quickly that the speed of reaction has, to my mind's eye, been nothing other than impressive across so many different ways without, you know, kicking the political football and talking about the government's reaction. I think the way that businesses have responded has been quite, quite, quite remarkable. And the finance community, as Louise mentioned, you know, has to be at the forefront of this because of the reality is that people will need to make decisions based on facts. And that is the forte of the financial community. It is a fact-based community. Uh, I, you know, having spent a fair amount of my career working with finance functions across the type of organisations I mentioned earlier, um, you know that there's a plethora of information that is available to them. And for example, Pat Miller, to actually have those people, you know, steering the ship, that type of person steering the ship, it's hugely important at moments like this, um, because as I say, it's, it's their natural their natural territory. Fact-based decisions made quickly as best as one can based upon the information that's available at the time. And from there onwards is a knowledge management piece, you know, constantly adapting and constantly learning from information that is arriving in this instance almost daily uh, about uh, what, what needs to be done. And as I say, I, 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 I think it's been more impressive uh, than, than most people can imagine because most of the general public don't understand how complex these supply chains are. So, so, so how, are we, how are we getting the right knowledge to make these decisions around uh, the, the, the complex supply chains that we have? I mean, uh, Louise, is there any sort of particular data points you're using um, to guide the, the decision making of the business? So, so I actually think it's the government's communication, to be fair. Um, our CEO says in situations like this, it's communicate, communicate, communicate. And I think they're actually doing, I don't want to um, get into politics, but I think they're doing a fantastic job keeping us up to date with the facts. Um, same time every day so people can just tune into that routine and and they're doing much more detailed briefs behind the scenes so with um, engagement from big businesses almost um, teams being able to put very specific questions in around how do we deal with this have you thought about that and and so on so it's almost I feel as though the government in the background um, they're providing a lot of the data for us to understand when things might might change and where we are in in the current situation. But in the background, they're levering the, leveraging the strength of the various industries to um, to do that more detailed planning. We take so we take a lot of information from the government briefing, and we're also attached to certain. Um, you know, obviously, the health and safety executive, there are forums that are stood up where industries are discussing how do we safely, so in, in the beer market, how do we safely deliver to a pub if we have to, if we have to observe 
social distancing when we have two men in a cab. So at the moment, you can't do that safely. So, so we are having to work together of those, those challenges. Um, but I think, I think the, we're using the government information mainly. That's, that's interesting. I, 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 um, I just hadn't really thought about maybe putting such a reliance uh, other government information, of course, you know, that you know, obviously helps. But I was just thinking um, to the thing that maybe was on people's minds in our part of the world before Corona hit was probably Brexit. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's why I come over to you, to you, Mike. It's like, okay, do we still need to be mindful of Brexit? Is it, you know, um, or, or do we need to switch our focus to Corona? Or should we also be thinking about Brexit at this moment, Mike? Well, Brexit's been planned, as Louise mentioned earlier as well, in terms of we've known the dates when Brexit was due to happen. So we planned for each of those dates as they came and went and we stood down the stock build that was going on ahead of that to avoid any supply chain impact. Um, and we will, we'll, we'll come back to that as soon as we get, get this out of the way, because we've also got the end of this year as the next watershed. And obviously we won't know until the June deadline around the negotiations with the EU as to what scenario we're going to be faced. But having done it twice before, I think we're all pretty confident and, and slick about how we do how we'll respond in the summer to what we need to do for next January. I think Louise made a good point as well about the government has set the sort of context for the, the, the crisis. Many crises in the past have happened without government being too bothered about it on the face of it. So when we had, we've had floods in the UK, we had a fuel crisis and business was really left on its own to figure out for itself what needed to be done. Uh, and that's where the, where the sort of the, the principles and things that we're applying now come from. But having the government context is quite helpful because we know the lockdown exists. We know the lockdown's probably going to last several more weeks. We know about the d- distancing. We know what the government's doing in terms of supply of people. You know, there's all these things going on. So we have something to work with, whereas other crises do very much on, on your own. Mm-hmm. That's uh, that's a very interesting observation, Mike. And I, 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 Howard, in terms of piecing that together, because I, I sort of, uh, you know, we've got the government maybe set in the context of business now and they're coming together a bit more, maybe working more closely together. I can't help but feel it, um, mentioning a, a link to a video you sent me. It was this uh, Bill Gates TED talk about the next pandemic. And um, I have to say, like, if, if, if I sort of had my time over, uh, his his warnings about what we're going through now were very prescient, and I'm trying to think: could we have done something better in in finance, in business, and government to get ahead of this? I mean, sort of, what are your thoughts there? For me, the, the thing that is most amazing about that TED talk is the fact that there have been 34 million views, and by that I mean only 34 million. I wish more people had looked at it and learned from it. Um, A fair bit of focus within the TED talk on the Ebola crisis, um, which for those who don't have the recollection, we're talking about 2014 or something along those lines. But one of the things that is um, in my mind is that Mike referred to the the, the floods and the chaos that that caused. There's, There's quite an interesting case study with Associated British Ports who reacted to the 2013 floods and uh, as an organisation was involved in, in, in continuity planning quite a detailed uh, level 
and they implemented um, uh, a whole range of plans which I believe have stood them in good stead now uh, for what, have, what has happened. And that, that came off the back of the of, of flooding. Um, they, they presented um, in, uh, as I understand it, a number of different instances about what, what, what their study was and how they undertook it. But I think the most important thing is that that work was undertaken with the involvement of CEO and CFO and Bill Gates talks about the fact that the, the costs involved in preparing for a pandemic like the one we're facing are insignificant compared to the effects, the costs of being unprepared for me is what is massively important because preparedness is uh, so, so valuable. Um, and, and, and we have not got a situation for sure where enough preparedness was done on a global basis, Bill Gates describes it as a global failure, there was not enough preparedness, there was not enough learning from things like Iban, and I would just recommend that anybody goes and has a look at what Bill Gates says, as I think it is very prescient. Yeah, I, I, I kind of feel it's going to be sort of mandatory viewing for um, future business continuity planning and scenario planning is the way he laid it out was quite quite nice. And that point on the cost of reacting to this is going to be far more than the cost of maybe getting prepared in advance. And, and I suppose coming maybe to you, Louise, on that sort of cost perspective, I mean, you know, we've grown up in finance, uh, very much a cost focus. But is, is that the right, right way we should be thinking about these sort of things? Is it now we're in a cost minimization phase or are we or should we be thinking how can we capture the best value remaining after the situation that we're finding ourselves in from from this crisis or any other crisis? Is the right approach cost minimization or value capture or value maximization? I think, I think it needs to be both. And to extent it depend on your individual business circumstances. So I guess um, you can always turn, the best thing to be able to do is turn a negative into a positive. So um, some organizations will have been able to share their resources. And instead of only being able to take 80% of a government grant to support their, their pay bills, they may well have been able to loan their workforce to an organization whose volumes are going through the roof because we know that um, the, the shelves in the stores were empty immediately, so production will have stood up and, um, you know, supply chains of certain products went beyond Christmas peaks. So, so there's opportunities um, for organisations who do prepare early and do have um, those teams looking for opportunities. So that was an opportunity for one organization to recover 100% of its wage, wage costs and people related costs and keep people occupied because um, people are not used to sitting at home doing anything. So that's an op opportunity. And I think businesses should always have a team looking at that. But then, of course, dependent on your business. And if I think of the particular business unit I'm looking after at the moment, the volume disappeared. So the revenue streams stopped. 
almost overnight and therefore cost control was really, really key. So I think it's just having that flexibility in the finance team to look at the various big pictures and get a nice balance between opportunity but not exploitative um, and um, and cost reduction at the same time. I think the two can go hand in hand. That was that was an interesting. I I thought that was a very creative solution actually, to try and you know keep the the, the wages going. That was I I hadn't heard of that one. That's very that's very interesting. Mm-hmm. And I think it, it, it's very similar to the point Mike made actually about saying this some franchisees when when their revenue stops that is the business grinding to a halt. Yeah. So actually coming coming over you to Mike uh, over to you Mike because I, I remember reading one of your presentations and you had uh, some golden rules for how we should uh, manage crises. Would you mind maybe sharing that with uh, some of our listeners, please? Yeah, sure. Well, it, the, and these rules have been developed over, over time and refined over time, but I'm not pretending they're my rules entirely, but just for the, before anyone thinks it's uh, painted, it, it, you know, it, it, the information's available, but it's a quite a simple way of keeping the whole thing together. So the first golden rule is about risk management, which the whole business needs to be involved in. And this is before crisis happens. So this is looking at the consequences and the likelihood. Now, if you apply that to coronavirus, clearly the consequences are severe, but probably the likelihood until until recently was considered quite low, having SARS and things gone before. So how we get these things into the, the eye is, is, is quite difficult. But having this assessment of the risks that your business faces, consequences and likelihood is the key number one, and the whole business needs to be part of that. Then when the crisis breaks, you need to get the experts together. So whether it's people involved with the suppliers, the products, the supply chain, the customer, to actually sit around the table, identify what the issues are, what's gone wrong, what needs to be done. And then in in any case, break the the group into groups looking at specific areas. So everyone doesn't look at everything. You have a customer team, a products team, a supplier team that come together and talk to each other as the crisis develops. Clearly operating with the facts and the figures, avoiding speculation and opinion where possible, uh, deal with facts and op- act on facts, identify the stakeholders that involved. So if it, in a franchisee business, there's the franchisees themselves, there's third parties, um, as well as suppliers and your own staff, identify those people and then effectively communicate. So you tailor your message to the various stakeholders, depending on what they need to know about. So the government coronavirus heading is, is clearly to the people. There'll be other communications going on to industry and to heads of industry so that that recipient knows what they've been told, understands what they've been told and acts on it accordingly. And those principles work for most, most incidents. Yeah, I think that ties nicely, Mike, in terms of what Louise was saying earlier about the communication and the importance of that. Uh, this communicate, communicate, communicate uh, principle. Yeah. And also, you know, to, to Howard's point around the CEO and the CFO coming together or really, you know, finance and the business because, you know, you got that visibility across the various different areas. I mean, I suppose, Howard, you know, what what is sort of some positive next steps that we should be taking as we sort of learn from this crisis to, to, to better prepare for future ones and emerge strong from the current one we're in? What do you think there, Howard? I think uh, for me, probably the most important thing is that it, it's the rebuilding from here onwards, because there are opportunities. Um, don't waste a crisis. There are opportunities to actually show 
in each and every business that you've managed the situation um, in, a, in a way that builds positive perceptions. Uh, you are talking about that there are, um, as I say, plenty of things that we can all learn from in situations like this. But probably the most important thing is, 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 is not actually the learning full stop. It's the improving of your processes, the improving of the, the resilience within the business to cope with these sort of things forward. And that improving only comes as a result of making sure that the learnings are shared and there's value in certain organizations whoever that might be uh, I'm, I'm not suggesting that there's a particular um, organization within our business community that should take the lead but realistically is in the best interests of businesses as we said to learn from each other um, in, in, in this and if you for example go back to the TED talk for an, for an analogy that's worthwhile doing. The last testing and exercises that were undertaken in the US, for example, prior to Ebola were in 2001. So that's a 13 year gap between doing exercises that were designed to help the state of preparedness or something um, of, of this sort. And that was between 2001 and 2014. And in 2014, the case reports were still being prepared on paper. So you are talking about in this modern world, how on earth could we not be geared up to actually be sharing that information in a better fashion than having case reports produced on paper? And that is just an analogy. The particular point, again, is that it's about knowledge management. Let's go and share. I talked about Associated British Ports um, and the fact that what they then did, because they're part of uh, the council, um, uh, which is involved in, um, uh, you know, these, these, these situations and learnings with the Department of Transport, for example, who were very interested, uh, quite rightly, in, in, in knowing and understanding what's happening in, a, in, 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 in this sort of type of situation in, in, in the maritime environments. And it, it is, for me, the most important thing is, is actually making sure those learnings are, are, are actioned in the right way. Yeah, I, I think to do that to a hard is it's probably going to be that people have the right mental state to do that because I think there's a lot of react mode at the moment yeah. And probably that is going to require some sort of forward thinking. And I know um, Louise, Louise and myself, and I think we've all spoken on some degree, but I know Louise and myself did it quite recently, was um, talking about the mental health impacts of uh, of all of this. So we can actually, because I think you touched the word, Howard, resilience. I think that's a key word from this, but also how can we leverage that resilience in a positive way moving forward so we're learning from it. Uh, Louise, from the mental health side of things, are sort of any, any things that, are, that, that you are seeing that are, been quite effective at the moment or things that we maybe need to focus on so we fully open ourselves up to this learning opportunity here yeah i mean mental health is um is is a, a topic for 
for everybody at the moment. We see more and more situations um, where people struggle. And this is a typical, I guess, situation that's alien to a lot of people. You have uh, little social interaction. And so therefore it can um, put those vulnerable people and, and people who didn't know they had a mental health issue um, under some pressure. So, so from, I think, again, we talk about this communication it's more and more important to be in touch with with your people. I think it's important to let people know it is okay to do things differently, to mix up your day. Everybody knows that schools are, are out. Um, people have got responsibilities looking and caring for, for children, trying to homeschool them. Some people will be suffering financially if they um, have been you know, lost their job or even furloughed and not receiving that 100% of their pay. So I think it's just letting people know it is okay to do things differently. You know, if you need to have a couple of hours off during the day to support a child, then then do it. Um, it's all right. We're all in this together. We've never done it before. We've got to support each other through it and come out the other side in a positive way and, and take the positives out of those challenges. So, for instance, we now all can work at home effectively. Those who have had to, not those those um, essential workers who've had to stay out and about on, on the roads and in, in the warehouses and so on. Um, so let's learn from those positives and um, and keep connected. So we have in, in our team, just to make sure everyone's okay, we have calls twice a day, every day. We didn't do that before. We probably had a call once a week. We had a wider team call once a month. We do that wider team call every week now. It's not necessarily about business updates. It's not necessarily talking about the negatives of the situation. We're trying to um, mix things up and keep positive. We've um, introduced, you know, just made people more aware of helplines that are available. And we talk about um, how we're all feeling. Again, subjects that we don't always talk about are a bit taboo. So, um, yeah, mental health is a, a big issue, but something we can um, take a positive from. Let's talk about how we feel more going forward. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I like that, Louise. And I, I, I suppose, look, I mean, the, the last 30 minutes we spent uh, debating this out has it's really flown flown by. So I, I, I've got to challenge all of you now to maybe come up with some parting thoughts uh, for our audience to take away and uh, put into practice uh, so we can move forward from this. Mike, maybe if I come to yourself first, um, would there be sort of any parting thoughts that you could recommend our audience uh, take away from, from the last uh, discussion we've had? You know, I would say don't lose heart. You know, they, there's been plenty of crises in the past. There'll be plenty more in the future. And if we apply ourselves and the experience we have around us, we'll get through this and we'll get through others. Um, I'm very happy we want to share the principles or the golden rules in a, in a way which the audience could look at. But th there's always hope. And, and as Louise just said, the talking to each other, sharing with each other, supporting each other, communicating with each other is part of getting through that because it is difficult for people, particularly with the home thing. When everyone's in the office together, it's it's a you've got a bit more of a club, more difficult separated, but we can we can reach across those gaps, keep people in the loop, keep people informed and keep them comfortable that things are okay. And as Louise said, it's okay to walk out and have a bit of fresh air and leave your desk for five minutes. And I know these things are perfectly all right. So we will sort of, we'll be great. We'll get through this. 
Yeah, but I, 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 I like that, Mike. Thank you so much uh, for the positivity <laughs> there. And uh, again, sharing the golden rules. Uh, coming to you, Howard, next. Uh, is there any parting thoughts for audience to take away from today's discussion? Uh, yes, I, I think uh, the truth is, as I mentioned earlier, the situation and, of course, the supply chains themselves, which are quite often global, um, they, they are complex. But as Mike has demonstrated, and he actually used the word a, a while back, uh, the concepts are simple. Uh, the concepts of how to handle this crisis and others remain very, very, very simple, those golden rules. I think probably the most important thing, uh, without a shadow of doubt, uh, rather like Mike's sentiment of uh, you know, one, one can get through this, I think we certainly can if the learnings um, are, um, are, 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 are shared and in particular the, the businesses test their processes and as Bill Gates exhorted, don't put it off. That's the most important thing. Don't, don't let it slip away. Um, do something positive with it reasonably shortly. When you've got all the information together, not now, we're still in the process, a little bit further down the track, actually undertake an exercise and learn from it. Yeah, I, I think that's where finance are very strong. I, I think it's, it's definitely... Um, putting the facts, getting the facts together, putting it out there, testing the processes to the po- your point and Mike's point. It's it's a simple stuff. If we just do that well, maybe now is not the right time, but just to have it front of mind when we emerge, so we do it. And and again, it's great that you've you've come on to share your stories with each other. Maybe that's the thing we need to do better is is talk more with each other, share what works, what doesn't work. Um, you know, and even down to what Louise mentioned previously, a very creative solution to keep the the cost covered for staff as well. And I suppose in terms of uh, finally, Louise, coming to yourself, maybe any any parting thoughts for our audience uh, following our discussion? I, I suppose for me, it would be reflect on the fantastic things that everybody's done, whether that's um, governments, suppliers, people in your team, countries working together. We have stood up and made massive decisions in a really short space of time. And so let's learn, well, now we know we can do that. What might the world look like when we're out of this situation if we can continue to operate that way? That's 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 an awesome challenge to lay down to our <laughs> audience. I can't wait to see what the world looks like in a year's time. <laughs> so so, so uh, Louise, Howard, Mike, thank you so much uh, for coming on and sharing with our SITN audience some great advice, thoughts, experiences, and... Yeah, appreciate you investing your time with us today. Thank you. Thank you, Andrew. You're very welcome. So there you have it. Hope you enjoyed today's show. If you'd like to know more about our guests today, their bio, and follow up on the resources mentioned during the show, you can find all the relevant links and more at sitnshow.com. There you'll also be able to get access to earlier shows, read the latest blogs. There's also an opportunity to subscribe to our newsletter which will give you heads up as to when the next show is coming out, latest events, news, and anything that's going to be relevant to help you have a fun, rewarding, and successful career in finance and accounting. And just before you go, we really appreciate your feedback. If there's something we can do better on the show, something that's not working, or something you'd like to see, even a guest you'd like for us to invite onto the show, someone who you think might be able to benefit you more and also the rest of our community, please let me know. 
you can email me. I'm at andrew at sitnshow.com or feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. Just drop me a message so I know how you found me and we can connect. And really, it's our community that will make the show. If we keep engaging and driving each other on, we'll keep on building our strength in the numbers. When all is said and done, if we can do the numbers better and finance better, we'll create more opportunities for ourselves, our friends, our families, our communities and our businesses. So until next time, have a good rest of the week. Take care and let's keep building our strength in the numbers.